Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today I'm calling this thing, How Should We Then Live? It's a question, and it's a question actually that comes after the title of a book by a guy named Francis Schaefer back in, I believe, the 80s. Schaefer was a, a missionary who went to Europe from Missouri, of all places, and um, had a kind of a mundane experience as a pastor in, in Switzerland, and then began to really answer some of life's difficult questions for people who were, were questioning, you know, what makes the world tick, uh, looking at socialism, looking at communism, uh, some of them looking at Christianity. And he was there to really show people that the way of Jesus is the way. It's the way that works. It's not only the way that's true, but it's the way that works. And at the twilight time of his ministry, he ended up writing this book and then a video series called How Should We Then Live? And if you've never seen the thing, it's a great thing for you to watch during the time that you're all holed up because of the pandemic. But as we get into this, uh, the question that I'm asking is, how are we going to live as we emerge from the pandemic? You know, I know it's quite early to be talking about emerging from the pandemic because we're barely in. You know, it's not a crisis. It uh, appears to be a crisis because it's as bad as anything we've ever known. You still have people even questioning whether it's real or just some government-made-up problem to somehow manipulate us into maybe not meeting together as churches. You know, there are those pandemic deniers who are uh, still resisting the government and trying to do church as it always was. Uh, But I think the rest of us are a little bit more realistic than that. But I think none of us really have figured out that uh, it's not a crisis yet. It's it's the pre-crisis. You know, Rudy Giuliani said that more people are going to die from this thing than the world can possibly. He's right. We're not in a crisis. We're in a pre-crisis. It's going to get a lot, lot worse before it gets better. You know, what happens when the virus hits the homeless encampment in your city? Or those folks that live in tents about a mile and a half down the road from where I do? You know, what about sub-Saharan Africa, where in many cases, medical systems are just almost non-existent? You know, in some ways, those people are a little better equipped to handle this than we are because they're resilient. They've had to deal with SARS. They've had to face Ebola, all of the tragedies that go along with that. But again, many are going to die. How about the millions in refugee camps that are spread across the globe? All the people who escaped Syria because of ISIS and are camped out somewhere in Turkey. You know, what about the woman that I heard of who lost two parents within hours of each other? This thing is going to get a lot worse than anything that we've seen. Uh, anything that has happened in our life. And and yet, in many ways, it probably presents an opportunity to the church. And it's opportunity that I want to get around to talking about in a minute. But back to my question, how will you and your church choose to live in the aftermath of a pandemic? How should we then live? Well, the answer comes back to how do you choose to live today in the midst of this? Actually, the answer may go back to how you lived, how you taught your people to live before it all happened, before the first person was affected clear across the world in China several months ago. How, how have you trained your people? Are, are they consumers? Do they come to see the Sunday show? Do they come because of the wonderful music? 
do they come because you got great kids programs or the church that's right down the road from me just spent a goo gob of money putting in a, a, a jungle gym or whatever you call those playground things that seriously rivals anything that McDonald's ever thought about building on their campuses. You know, what are we up to and what do we call church? What is this thing we call church? And again, uh, how should we live? How, how are we going to live today? How are we going to live tomorrow? Because that sets us up for our future and our futures. You know, churches across America, if not across the world, are discovering that there are new ways to do old things. We're adapting ourselves quite quickly to communications via the internet, using Facebook Live, Zoom, and various other platforms. We've learned how to do online giving and online receiving, I might add. I wrote a guest blog for Exponential about this and about its longer-term implications, and I'll leave the, the link to that blog on the, on the, at the bottom of this podcast, so if you want to catch it, you can. These are really valid things that we're learning to do and we're learning to do well. We are learning to care for our sheep in smaller groups, which is very important because as we're forced to do this, we're raising up shepherds among them. People who used to be parking lot attendants and greeters at the front door are now actually looking after other people. And some of that is spreading into neighborhoods, uh, people who don't normally attend our churches, people who don't walk with the Lord, because there is a great hunger going on. There's a lot of fear out there. And so there's some good things, but I think that there's more to glean from COVID-19 and our experiences during this terrible time than just swapping a Sunday show in a box for a Sunday show that's streamed online over the internet. How should we then live in light of a master who said that he came to heal the brokenhearted, to set captives free, to bring healing to blind people, and to bring hope to prisoners, and I might add to homeless people. You know, what are the implications of a call to mobilize our members to ministry in the light of a pandemic? Now, I'm part of a, a group called Exponential. Love being part of these people. And they spent the whole last year talking about mobilizing people for getting people out of our pews, getting people to move beyond their volunteer jobs inside a church to be mobilized to do something in the world. And I think that part of that involves the kinds of ministries that we read about in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, being activated in our churches. You know, rather than just a preaching gift or a teaching gift or a shepherding gift that that we find out who's apostolic in our church. You know, we recognize those people who are just so good at talking to people that they don't know that you have to believe that they have the gift of evangelism, that we begin to figure out how do we mobilize these people? How do we activate them? How do we equip them for service? Because the world is going to be a very different world than it was just two or three months ago. I think about this, the thoughts aren't really so wonderful. You know, for starters, the implications are kind of, I was talking to a couple of friends recently over the internet, and they're rejoicing that the church has become so missional in light of this terrible tragedy. But I think they're overly optimistic. I don't think we switched from, hey, we're friendly, come join us, to we just stop by to see how you're doing just because a bunch of people are dying of this pandemic. I think it's going to take more than uh, evening news activated fear to get us out of our ruts and get us doing some things differently, uh, some things that we should have been doing right along. And there is good news. I mean, as I was just began to record this thing, I had to interrupt it because somebody from the church that I pastored in Hawaii, who was a child in that church, just came by to bring groceries to my wife and I. Uh, now, we live 2,500 miles away from where we used to know each other, 
they live about 15 miles from where we do. They attend a different church than we do. Their daughter is going on on mission trip. Look like she's heading out to become a missionary, just like her grandmother. Very cool thing. They brought four bags of groceries to these old people. I, I think that's a wonderful thing. I heard of a church that's that dealt thousands of meals to poor kids who normally only get one good meal, maybe a couple of snacks each day because they get it in their public school. They live in a very very poverty stricken urban ghetto. There are others who are organizing to make grocery runs for old folks like me, and they're doing it among neighbors who they barely even know. That's really good. Some are even organizing neighborhood prayer watches, etc. And the thing is, I'm afraid that these people are the standouts due to their rarity. This isn't church as, as normal. This isn't what we always do, and it certainly isn't what we've learned to do very quickly in this pandemic. We spent the last two, three, four weeks trying to figure out how to get online how to work the technology, how to, and, and we were there. It's working for most people, and that's a really good thing. But in a way, it's kind of like business as usual, just with Facebook Live in between. And because we are adaptive, we've moved from church in a building to church online quite easily. And some of us are even vastly expanding our footprint among people who are probably scared into giving God a chance. I'm, uh, one of my friends is pastoring a church of normally a few thousand people, and he said that they had 48,000 people in their online service a week ago. That's incredibly good. I'm not fussing about that. I think that's a great thing. Another friend of mine normally has 300 in church. They hit 2,500. That's great. But what are we going to do as we come out of this thing? What will happen when it's all over? What's going to happen in a couple of years, if not a few months? Because when the pandemic's over, the, the culture isn't going to just turn around and say, hey, we want Jesus and we love your church and we want to you know, come down the road and find out how friendly you folks are. In fact, <clears throat> the bad news that is out there about the churches that are resisting social distancing, I even heard about a Christian university that went back on their word to do social distancing. Even a couple of Christ follower operated businesses that are in trouble, uh, cease and desist orders, that kind of stuff is in the news every day and it doesn't go down well. And so the future isn't necessarily going to be rosy just because we went online during a pandemic. So there are at least two possibilities. There's probably a dozen, but you know I can only think of a couple. Here's the two scenarios. The first is that we go back into our building. We're bruised, but we're functional. Financially, we're hurting, but most of us managed to scrape it together. Some of us have had deep enough reserves to make it. Some of the large churches are really going to be in trouble because of big debt, but some small churches are going to be in the exact same kind of trouble. In fact, a few pastors are going to probably leave the ministry because they can't handle the despair that goes along with trying to rebuild what wasn't working real well before they went into it. Not a, a, a few pastors resign because financial recovery is just out of the question. Some are going to go back and, and just trudge forward, but it's not going to be very pretty. We're going to have to deal with virus-borne alcohol problems because when people are locked up like they are, they turn to drugs and alcohol. In fact, alcohol sales are up. If you notice, it's one of the economic bright spots in the world that we live in. Along with alcohol and drug problems comes spouse abuse, child abuse, even suicide are going to take their toll on not just our world, but the people in our churches. However, our churches are good at counseling and we'll manage to get our people through. We're going to scrape by somehow in this scenario. 
and on top of all this, we will have learned technology and we'll be live streaming our services and there'll be a few more people watching, but not so much will have really changed. The other possibility is more encouraging, but it's also a little confusing because of the unknowns that are attached. I like it, but I'm not quite so sure how it's going to turn out. In this world, we return to our buildings, which we're going to do, but with a wider vision. For starters, the holdouts among us will have adopted a meaningful small group ministry, but they did it out of necessity during the pandemic. However, that's a very good thing. A few churches will indeed close due to financial problems, and some pastors will probably leave the ministry. Others are going to be forced to take jobs in a new and different economy, uh, becoming freelance, Bible, Kobo, or whatever we might want to call it. The home run hitters are going to be the churches that prepare their people to minister in the marketplace uh, and did prepare them before COVID-19. These congregations are going to probably multiply as a recognized potential in the emergency appointed leaders in their midst. Some of these guys are going to plant micro churches. Others will extend the reach of a traditional church into places where they've never gone before. The problems that we face, the depression, the drug and alcohol problems, unemployment, domestic issues, around all of these things, uh, churches are going to find that doors are open to the gospel in shoe leather. You know, if we just go down the road to our neighbor and go, how you doing? What's going on? Good things are going to happen. And I have uh, an odd neighborhood where I live. Almost everybody is at least a Christian in name. Many of them come from Iraq. They're refugees. And they came because of persecution in their home country. And they, they go to church. They name the name of Jesus. Not all of them exactly live like it. But very, very friendly to me as a pastor, which I'm not really used to in a secular neighborhood. One of my neighbors, he and I become real good friends recently. And we became friends because I decided to get out of my little churchy rut and go make friends with him. I lived here for a couple of years and my next door neighbor stops by after work. If he sees me working in my garage, then he walks up the hill from where he lives. And it's quite a hike. And we sit and we talk. And a few weeks ago, I was sitting in a micro church with some friends. And I begin to realize I'm not a very good neighbor. And I don't do anything to reach out to my neighbor. I'm friendly when he comes my way. And so I begin to pray for opportunities to make friends with him. And, and so I kind of will lurk outside when I see him drive up. And I walk down the hill to where he is. And some good things have happened. Uh, we've been able to pray together. He's gone through a financial crisis, actually lost uh, a career, a very good career, high-paying career, uh, in the midst of a project where he's flipping houses. And he had one where he had some problems with permitting issues. And the thing was about to sink his ship financially. We prayed about it and breakthrough happened. But that's a major deal. I, I spent a little time, you know, 20 feet away from a couple of neighbors the other day. Both of them, uh, different households, are from Iraq. And we normally don't talk. We wave or we greet each other, but we don't talk. In both situations, we got to talk. And what came out of it is that when this thing's over, we're going to at least have a neighborhood barbecue. We're going to figure out how to become neighbors. Now, am I telling you this because I'm so good at it? No, I'm telling you this because I'm so bad at it. But I'm stumbling forward. And I think that the churches that come out of COVID-19 doing well are going to be the ones that are willing to say, we're, we're, we're a little stupid at this. We're not real good at the thing that we're always thinking about doing, we got to do a better job of first as pastors and leaders doing it ourselves because people are not going to do what we tell them. They're going to do what, what they see us do. And so learning to do ourselves, get out into the world and rub shoulders with people and, and be mobilized for mission uh, where we live and where we work, where we play, where we hang out. 
is going to make a difference, and it will make a difference to people. And so in this scenario, the church goes forward, and COVID-19, as awful as it is, actually becomes a door opener for us to do the thing that Jesus called us to do, and that's to get out into the world and make disciples. As we're in leadership and we're trying to answer this question, how should we then live? Well, none of us exactly know how this thing is going to end. We have no idea how many lives it will claim. We have no thought of whether we're in for a lengthy depression or a quick economic turnaround. In fact, you can find good arguments for the depression or at least a long recession or a very quick turnaround by just going on any financial page that you'll find on the internet because both sides are well represented there. We don't know what's going to happen. We do know this, though. We're called to make disciples. We're called to equip and to mobilize people to do more than greet people at the front door of the church and say, welcome. Uh, We face some wonderful opportunities to multiply the church in days to come, but we're going to have to choose the path. The path forward is unclear. It's, it's, it's got brambles and, and, and bushes that are in the way. It's got, you know, stumbling blocks. It's got branches across the road, but the fork in the road is very clear and we stand at that fork today. So let's just talk about some things that uh, we know, some things we think we know, and some things that we know we don't know. Now, here's what we know. We know it's going to get worse, but we also know it'll get over. We have no idea if it'll get over in a few months, like we're all hoping for, or if it's going to be recurring for two, three years until the whole population is either dead or immune to the thing because we've all caught it, or somebody has discovered a wonder drug. But we do know that it will get over. And we know also that there are going to be ongoing problems. Now, what we don't know about those problems is what they are. We can't quite predict. We've got some good ideas, but we know that we don't know that. Here's what we think. We think we know the nature of the problems and that somehow we think we're going to be better connected to each other because the virus has forced. That's amazing to me how well the church is actually adapted to this thing and clustered together in groups around Zoom conversation and all that. I think this is really wonderful. I'm, I'm not for a minute trying to denigrate that. I just think there's so much more for us to do. And so what, what we think we know is that we're going to come out of this thing uh, with our church structures changed a little bit and changed for the better. And we like to think that we're going to be better connected to the world around us, but then we can't predict that either. You know, will we just go back to business as usual uh, with a little technology added to the scene or not? We, we don't know that. You know, here's what we know that we don't know. We don't know how many will die. We don't know how bad the economy will be in just a few months. We don't know the nature of the problems that we're going to face in our churches and in our communities. We don't know the attitude of the surrounding world to the church and how we've handled this because the thing hasn't played itself out yet. We may come out smelling like a rose, or we may come out with a culture uh, turned more against us than they were before the thing started. We don't know if there's another pandemic coming down the pipe. You know, our world is looking more and more like that described in the first few chapters of Revelation, with a moon in some place turned to blood because of air pollution. The large portion of the trees burned. I mean, look at Northern California and Australia in the last couple of years. Revelation describes a world where a lot of people die of pestilence. It sort of sounds like what we read about every day in the news. We just don't know what's going to happen. In short, we know very little of the near-term future, let alone the long So, back to my question. How should we then live? My friend Jeff Christofferson wrote a book. It's called Venal Dogmata. And venal dogmata 
actually means venal means for sale and dogmata means dogma or what you believe. In other words, our beliefs are for sale. Uh, you can get the book on uh, exponential.org. Great little book. It's actually a fun book to read because he kind of wrote like a, a real short novel. And it kind of describes his take on church 30 years from now and what it would look like. And I, I think you'll enjoy the book. But in truth, we've kind of sold our doctrine. We've kind of sold our dogma. We've kind of sold everything that we believe uh, in the name of bigger churches, bigger campuses, bigger budgets, bigger salaries, bigger reputations. We've sold ourselves. And so we need to take a, a real long look at the future. Well, Jeff was on a webinar that I heard today. And a really good thing, he and Ed Stetzer pulled together this thing about the church of the future. And, you know, I don't agree with everything that they said, but <clears throat> Jeff said that there are four terms that would describe what we need to do as leaders in the church. We need to first stabilize, second, normalize, third, mobilize, and fourth, futurize. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit. And, and it's not just Jeff's thoughts. I'm kind of ralphizing what Jeff had to say. To stabilize would mean that we bring to fruition what we've begun with our adaptation to technocentric communications and the expanded leadership base that is rising along with that. In other words, we just kind of keep on keeping on uh, we've started well, that we keep doing it, that, we, that we, we glean and we learn from the experiences of the recent days. To normalize means that we begin to pray and watch over the lessons that you and your church can learn in order to unlearn commercial Christianity, that we swap it for something that looks more like the early church, or at least the churches that thrive under persecution and pestilence around the world. You know, Jesus is still on the throne. He's not worried. He's in control. The problem for us is that we need to align and synchronize ourselves with whatever it is that Jesus is doing. So we need to normalize normal Christianity. And then mobilizing. Coming out of this thing to mobilize ourselves would be that we build a ministry around these four scriptures. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, which tell us how the Christians operated. Basically, church, when you strip it of all of its program. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13 talks about the Lord bringing gifts to his church, and those gifts came with a purpose, and that purpose is to equip the members for ministry. We mobilize people. 1 Corinthians 14.26 describes church meetings that are vastly different than what we normally experience, but look something like what we've been doing online uh, if you're into Zoom conversations. And that's a, a, a church service where somebody comes with a song, somebody comes with a hymn, somebody's got a word of encouragement, somebody's got a scripture, somebody's got a little teaching. It's a round robin, share for all kind of an experience. And then the last scripture that I think is important is Romans chapter 16, verse 15, where Paul addresses a church that he has never even visited. And he tells them that he's convinced that they are they're, they're good people, that they have the righteousness of God and the Holy Spirit, that they have all knowledge. But that would mean that they have the scripture, they have the knowledge of God available to them, not that anybody is all wise or all knowing. And finally, that they are capable of teaching one another. In other words, he invested a lot more trust in people than we find normal to do. And so if I can build around those things, I think I can build something that's supple, that's viable, it's going to work in the, in the world as the world unfolds in the future that we don't yet know. And then the last thing that Jeff said was that we should futurize. And how do you futurize? Well, you do the first three and you'll find a way for it to walk in. You know, history has never, ever 
moved in a straight line from one year to the next. It weaves and it wobbles and the path is never a straight one. It won't be a straight line from yesterday to today to tomorrow. Change is upon and It's up to us to seek Jesus and for us to lead the way into an uncertain future as we hold his hand. You know, the future for us is uncertain. For Jesus, he knows where it's going. The problem is that sometimes we just have lost our way and we need to find a way to get back on the path. And perhaps the, the way to the path, the way to the pathway, if you would, has begun to show itself in the midst of this horror that we call COVID-19. Well, thanks for listening. Hope to catch you next time. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.